The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State athletics. This is Wildcat Insider with the voice of the Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson, and KMAN Sports Director, Mitch Fortner. Well, here we go. Buckle up. We got a busy week of K State athletics. Let's go out, let's go down the checklist, Wyatt. Welcome into Wildcat Insider, Mitch Fortner and Wyatt Thompson. So we have men's basketball and women's basketball in Kansas City for their respective Big 12 tournaments. Men playing Wednesday, ladies playing on Friday. You have K-State baseball opening the home schedule. And by the way, there's been a change to that schedule. We'll get to that here in just a moment. But also, K-State football opens up spring practice tomorrow at 7.30. How about that? So yeah, we have a few things to do this week, don't we, Wyatt? (laughs) We do. We'll have a good show here. Uh, Obviously, we'll touch on all of those subjects. It does seem a little bit odd that the spring football season is upon us already, but i got to be honest, after running into Coach Kleiman there in the Shamrock Zone Saturday before the Oklahoma game, (laughs) it was great to see him first of all and talk a little football for a few minutes, but I know he's excited about getting this thing going. They've got a couple of things this week, and then um, it's kind of an odd schedule because they've got a couple of things this week, and then they're off for the week of of uh, spring break, and then they'll come back and really get after it and all the way through the 16th of, of April. So, yeah, it, it's going to be fun. There are some, some very interesting subjects uh, when you talk about K-State football. A lot of storylines this spring, no doubt about that. Well, speaking of spring football, we just got the uh, the – the spring practice calendar that go. was released, and okay. uh, Ryan Lackey sending out that um, sending out that email. A lot of Tuesday Thursday practices, which of course they have fifteen practices throughout the spring that'll lead up to the open practice for fans to attend on April sixteenth. But we'll talk more uh, spring football. I also want to discuss Skylar Thompson and him um, trying to show off his talents at the combine last week. But also still to come on the show at five o'clock. The women's basketball, all Big 12 teams are going to be announced. Of course, we do expect Aoka Lee to be named the Big 12 Player of the Year. Serena Sundell, who was named for the fifth time this year, the Big 12 Freshman of the Week. I would imagine she is... uh, Coach Mitty mentioned it last week on the show that he feels that she, along with another freshman, it's between those two that will be competing for the Freshman of the Year honor, a Newcomer of the Year honor. Uh, but we do have a jam-packed show. We will get to K-State baseball as well. But to lead off here, we will uh, talk a little K-State men's basketball because down the stretch, the last three weeks of this season was a very pivotal time. It could really send the season in many directions. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, with a five-game losing streak, it has sent K-State into a direction where if you want to make it to the NCAA tournament, you got to win out. You're going to Kansas City, and you need to win four games because you're now in the only first game, the the only game of the first day of the Big 12 tournament, which will play West Virginia at 6 o'clock on Wednesday uh, evening in T-Mobile Center. But now it seems to be like even the NIT might not be as a sure thing as you would imagine, right? like kind of an outside – on the outside looking in type of situation for K-State, but losing five in a row and some tough losses, including Texas Tech on the road and Oklahoma at home this past week. Well, we know that the Texas Tech game was one where K-State played shorthanded without Marquise Noel, but yet gave a valiant effort from my perspective and fell short against a team that uh, had won its 18th consecutive home game. 
they finished undefeated at, at home on the year. So so that's one thing. But but the one on Saturday against Oklahoma really stings because it's senior day. Um, it, it's one that you feel like you, you can really compete in. And I thought K-State did. Uh, they're down just one at half and, and kind of survived a very good first half shooting the ball from Emoja Gibson. Um, it, it was almost like Caleb Grill from the previous Saturday, wasn't it? I mean, he was hitting everything. And then you get into the second half, and I thought the real difference in the ball game for me uh, was the early start in the second half for Oklahoma. They really got after K-State. They got on the glass. They started on the rebounds in the second half 14-2, to and that got them out to a decent lead, and K-State could really never recover. I mean, they got back close like they normally do, but not like you know a one- or two-possession game. I mean, they may have gotten there once or twice, but it wasn't like they were really threatening Oklahoma, and OU was just good enough uh, offensively at almost 53%. You just couldn't catch them. I was in Los Angeles watching the Texas Tech game, and I'm I'm steps away from the TikTok headquarters, <laughs> a mile away where they film Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, but in the hotel room watching this team really compete well. I, I was impressed by the kind of shots K-State was making. They were trying to drive to the hoop and score, and they were. I mean, the Cats gave Texas Tech the biggest fight that the Red Raiders have seen all season long inside of USA. That's United Supermarkets Arena, for those that don't know. Um, K-State only lost that game by five points. That was the slimmest margin of victory for Texas Tech at home this year. But a big difference in this one, yes, Texas Tech did hit some clutch shots down the stretch, but they just absolutely dominated in the paint, 36-10. to Meanwhile, K-State still shot 42%, but things did get a little bit overshadowed because especially if you're a K-State fan, there were a couple of calls in that final minute or two that you felt, boy, you felt like that was a really bad call, two bad calls potentially, that took away K-State's opportunity to potentially win that basketball game. And the one that bothered me the most was when Mike McGurl was called for a foul and a rebound, which he clearly was the first to touch the basketball. It really was a very frustrating game in the last couple of minutes because of those two calls. The other call that you're referencing, I'm sure, is the Nigel Pack yes. shot where it appeared that, one, he was hit on the, on the hand uh, on the release of the shot and then really wasn't given enough room to come down, which you're supposed to do as a defender. And I think everybody felt like he wasn't fouled once on the play. He was fouled twice, and yet there was no call. With that said, I'm with you. I, I think the one against McGurl was really bad. Um, and and when you lose games, those are some of the things that you point to. But I think win or lose, we'd have been talking about that one afterwards. I, I just felt like <laughs> the, I, I just didn't see the need for the call. I just thought it was a missed call, simply stated. And it really hurt K-State at that point. No question about that. It was it was the call of the game, and it decided the game in, in a large part. And you mentioned Emoji Gibson from Oklahoma who, boy, like for a while, yeah, you're right. He, he wasn't missing from three-point range. He had 29 points in the game. Marvin Johnson comes off the bench and gets eight and seven. I thought that was a very pivotal thing as well. Tanner Groves with 14 points, and he hit a couple of threes. 
if you were to really break it down, I think there's one key thing that was missing for K-State. Obviously, it's Marquise Noel because you needed to be a little bit better defensively to win both of those games. Now, K-State, even though they weren't necessarily bad on defense, it was then on offense, they just couldn't find a way to get on a run like they did at one point where they went on a 7 nothing run, but they also couldn't stop Oklahoma from hitting those clutch shots that ended K-State's momentum. Like They were never really able to continue to stop the Sooners drive after drive after drive so they could come back and win that game. The Sooners just... They shot very well. You needed Marquise Noel to be that extra defender on the floor that we've seen in the past where K-State has come from behind, either win the game or nearly get it done, where he's stealing the basketball down the stretch, making some really good defensive plays. But you haven't had that for Marquise Noel because he hasn't been able to play. I think a couple of thoughts here to add to what you're saying. I think it was laid out by Coach Weber after the game pretty succinctly that Probably the most disappointing thing for him in the five-game losing streak to end the regular season was K-State defensively. They just slipped, and they slipped in particular with letting a guy here and there go off uh, and in the three-point shooting defense. it I mean, it didn't just fall. It fell off the cliff. And, and I don't necessarily know if he had the exact answer why. But again, I mentioned Caleb Grill the previous Saturday was was lights out. Emoji Gibson was lights out here. But then the other factor is, and, and it is a factor, you know, which, I mean, it's just, I, I remember interviewing Chris Lowry, the associate head coach, before the Tech game, and I asked him about trying to overcome. I, I basically phrased the question this way If Marquise can't go, what kind of impact does that have on your on on this game and, and your team? And his response was, as you might admit or think, <laughs> immediate in that he's the guy that starts our offense, he's the guy that starts our defense. That's a pretty telling statement, and I think they miss Marquise in both of those games. He has a hamstring, I guess I'll call it a strain. I'm not totally exactly sure, but we saw that. You know, him grab it in the Iowa State game was not – I, I kind of felt like there was no chance he would play against Tech with the quick turnaround. That ended up to be true. I was still hopeful that he might be able to go, but once once I saw a little bit of, you know, practice on Thursday and Friday, it became pretty iffy that, that he was he just was not going to be able to, to make it and, and didn't. What else didn't help your top two scorers? Either not – I'm talking the Oklahoma game, either yeah. not playing or not 100%. Nigel Pank had a stomach bug. Bruce Weber said and horrible foul trouble. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Two fouls in that first half. He sat for a long time and he got that fourth foul. What was I, I don't remember the time the the time stamp on that one. I want to say there was still more than he got, nine I minutes can tell ago. You exactly. He got his third foul with thirteen forty nine to go and got his fourth foul with eight fifty seven to play. And if you go back even farther, he set out the final thirteen sixteen of the first half. He played less than 24 minutes in the game, and this is a guy that's been playing 36, 37, 38 minutes. So that's significant. Which, hey, hey, tip of the cap to the, that team in the first half to stay within a point of the Sooners who were just lethal from three-point range and hitting clutch shots to stay with one at the half without Nigel Packer, Marquise Noel on the floor for most yeah, of the time. That's I mean, it. That, Excellent but, effort, for yeah, sure. Totally. Mark Smith and, and, and Mike yet, McGurl. I mean, and yet, you have to be realistic and honest with yourself about it. 
you still gave up 38 points. That's too many. Now, they scored 37. And, and a lot of that, that we haven't even talked about, the fact that Mark Smith had 22 and Mike McGurl had 21. Those guys played really pretty solid basketball, especially when you consider uh, the lack of Nigel, the lack of Marquise, and the lack of any production at all, or for the most part, from, from some of those you know f- four- and five-position guys. It's just, it's just been problematic all year long. Well, and we had learned through Big 12 play that we knew that a typical Bruce Weber team is a better def- usually a better defensive than offensive team. It's been a flip-flop yeah. picture this season where Bruce Weber went after the transfer portal, got these guys that can score the basketball, and has been a better offensive team. And, and Nigel Pack has really stepped up. His shot has been better than his freshman year. He's got a hair trigger of a three-point arm. And K-State's been a, a better scoring team. But defensively, they struggle from inside the arc. They've been one of the best teams in the country protecting the perimeter. Mm-hmm. But when guys drive on them, they've had some issues with not staying in front of defenders. And then you try to turn that defense into help defense. And then, of course, we know now, and the teams in the Big 12 know, that the weak side three-point shooter, they know where to put them. It's going to be open. And that results in a K-State just trying to sprint out from the paint and run towards this guy and try to get a hand in his face. You know, I think when you look at this team – and you try to be as honest and fair about things as, as you can humanly possibly be. I know people get tired of hearing things like this. They, they put them in that category of excuses when you lose, and I, I appreciate and understand that. But I think one of the other factors that gets a little bit overlooked uh, in the slide to end the year, if you go back in time, remember the, the injury to Selton Miguel – missing basically four-ish games with, with that ankle, he was never really the same defender. And that is significant from my perspective because I believe he is K-State's best on-ball defender. Now, there are some that would say Marquise is pretty darn good too, and they're mm-hmm. right. So, okay, let's say he's he's second instead of first. It's still a significant blow uh, when you're <laughs> struggling to get some of these teams slowed down uh, and then – with K-State, as we've talked about here on Saturday and and last Monday without Marquise, and then you throw Nigel's foul trouble on top of that, you can understand how Oklahoma's going to be a hard team to beat under those, under those circumstances. It's been a very frustrating last five games for K-State because, and I mentioned it at the top of the show, where you win three of those games and your season might be completely different Instead of where we're at right now, where Bruce Weber has most likely coached his last game at Bramlage Coliseum with the loss to Oklahoma, you're thinking, no doubt about it, postseason play, and these guys are playing more basketball. But you lose by three in overtime to Oklahoma State. The Kansas loss, obviously, was, you know, it, it, it was what it was. You know, KU had a big night, but you lose by a point against Iowa State as well. That was an absolute dagger. Lose by five at Tech. By seven to Oklahoma, it just got away from K State. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to use the line they blew it, but I, I suppose that in a way, if they just win three ball games, they might be controlling their own destiny in a way. Well, I think that's probably pretty accurate. I, I, I think that when everybody looks back on this season, I think they're going to basically say there are a lot of what ifs. Yeah, because I think you said it well. They're not to the level defensively as they were, say, even just last year. Certainly better, more consistent offensively. But a lot of that was coming from 
probably just four guys most of the year, and that's just not quite enough, right? I mean, that's that's what it is. I think when you look at Nigel had a really fantastic season. I think if you'd have said this is what Mark Smith is going to do. He's going to lead the league in rebounding. He's going to average 14 points a game in Big 12 play. Sign me up right now. Yep. And then you've got Marquise, who <laughs> leads the league in steals. He's towards the top of the league in assists. Solid and assist-to-turnover ratio. Shoot middle 30s from three. Be on the all-defensive team. Boom, you take it. So there were certainly positives, but what if comes into you can't get away from losing all of the close games and the inconsistencies of the team, and that's, that's just what it is. For all the, the losing teams that I have experienced, I'm not just talking about basketball. Sure. If you want to talk about football, the, the few losing teams that there's been, or baseball or whatever sport you want to talk about, this might actually be the most fun team with a losing record I've ever seen in K-State history. <laughs> Because they have guys that have put up some highlights this year, have hit some crazy shots, 35 points from Nigel Pack. Like, I know they have 14-16 record, but they've been a lot of fun to watch this year. Well, I think there's some fairness to that, too. They, they have been entertaining uh, in, in a lot of games. There's no doubt about that. And I, I think w- with the addition of Marquise and Mark and then the major step up, with let's be honest now, Nigel was a really good player. A year ago, as a true freshman, on a, on a team that really struggled, right? I mean, that's that's yeah. just kind of what it was. Nine wins, but he has really, I mean, I don't even know what kind of percentage you'd put on the leap that he took. You know, from zero to ten, would it be an eight? Would it be a six? Would it be a nine? <laughs> I, I think you could say probably closer to nine than six, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we're talking about not just the 35-point game against Kansas, but two other 30-plus-point games. The guy's been in double figures, what, third, a 20, what is it, 21 straight games? I mean, 13 points from 500 on the season. That's a pretty good year, buddy. It's so weird. When Nigel scores 30 points, K-State's 0-3. When yeah. Mark Smith grabs more than 15 rebounds, K-State's like 0-3. <laughs> Uh, without well, no, Marquise but, Noel, they're 0 4. But, but, but that augments our point in a lot of ways because, you know, a lot of times it is three guys. Maybe Mike occasionally as opposed to one of the others. But here lately, they've been a little bit better with getting, you know, four guys in double figures, but not early in the conference race. And there's just, that's what my point is, is that they've, They've struggled down the stretch defensively. And then when you look at the lack of production um, from from the bench, I mean, you, you mentioned Oklahoma's bench a moment ago. One of the guys that absolutely just killed K-State on Saturday was Marvin Johnson, who really has – I mean, no disrespect in any way, shape, or form, but, but he played 22 minutes and had eight points and seven rebounds. That's – not quite – that's probably his highs for the whole conference season. Yeah. I mean, by a good margin, he's just not done a whole lot. And those kind of things, when when you could survive that if Emoja Gibson would have had just a normal day, right? Or you don't have 
<laughs> I, I, I don't know how you felt about this, but but I, I thought Jacob Groves with with eight rebounds and, and five points was a pretty solid performer too. He wasn't great, but he was darn good. And you look at the bench scoring, and it's fifteen to five. Well, fifteen to five doesn't sound like a real big edge, but it is when it's seventy eight seventy one. Yeah, just kind of what it is. Still to come on Wildcat Insider. Coming up in the second hour, we will tip our cap to those from K-State men's and women's basketball that received all Big 12 honors. We'll preview the Big 12 tournament as well. But up next, we'll talk football spring practice starting tomorrow and how Skylar Thompson did in the Combine. Up next. I can't believe it. Spring football's already here. And coming up in April, there won't be necessarily – it's not a spring game. It's going to be what we've had in the Coach Kleiman era of like an open practice for the fans to come in and watch for an hour or so, then run drills and run some plays. And we'll get a little glimpse of what K-State 2022 is going to be all about. But the first practice is tomorrow. And according to the – uh, script we got it's supposed to start at 7 30 in the morning and they'll go like tuesday thursday off next week tuesday thursday saturday and then the next week tuesday thursday so it's a, it looks like a comfortable schedule at least early on in the month of march to get out there and play and i i kind of get a crack out of we're gonna have a press conference with coach Kleiman like the first day of practice i'm like i don't know if there's gonna be a whole lot he's gonna say like the question i want to ask is like all right coach who showed up out of shape not ready to go, <laughs> who was lazy, and who came in ready to go. That's what I want to know, but well, I don't know if we'll give any answers. You should ask You think him. so? Yes. Why not? You're always going to have guys. I, I, here's what I would tell you. I think for the most part in this day and age, m- there may be an exception or two here and there, but you give yourself no chance if you, if you get into this and you're mm-hmm. not in top physical condition. Most of those guys will be – I'll, I'll call it locked and loaded and ready to go. <laughs> I, I just believe that's that's how you have to do it. You can't compete otherwise. You just can't. Well, I know Davion Bradford got a hard time for a while there of maybe not necessarily being in shape, but also that was because you know, he was sick. Sure. And so he you know had the pressure of trying to get in shape, lose a couple of pounds, and be just overall more competitive. But with football, obviously, you have a ton more guys that you're keeping track of, and maybe you wouldn't even have the answer. Like, well, we're just throwing them out there. If they're not in shape, well, maybe they're not going to have a, one of the top spots in the depth chart yeah. if they're not ready to go. I, I think for me, that's the real interesting part of, of up and above and beyond. Let, let's say they all show up and in, and in top physical condition. Uh, to me, the, the spring is more about the implementation of – offense, how will it be different? How will it be the same from Coach Messingham now to Coach Colin Klein? Because I think, I mean, he's got to put his stamp on it too. Sure. I don't think there's going to be monster changes, but there's certainly going to be some differences. So I I think you start with that. You've also got a um, a couple of new coaches there too that uh, I I think will will be impactful. And, And then it's like I said this before on this show. What's the winter time been like for those guys that are, you know, young, 
talented. Uh, to me, the first guy that would come to mind would be a guy like Felix Anyudike Uzama, who blasted onto the scene last year. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess he's put on at least eight to twelve pounds. Oh of yeah, really good strong weight. Good for him. Yeah, um, that's what you want to see. You know, what is he going to play like following last year with another good quality? You know, eight, ten, twelve pounds, and maybe more by the time we get to the fall. I mean, we don't know that. But those are the kind of things that are kind of fun to learn in those, because the spring goes pretty quick. I mean, let's be honest; it's fifteen practices; it goes fast. Yeah, it's a little over trying to get like five weeks or so. Yeah, roughly. Roughly. Yeah, because with the with the you know taking and again, it's weird because they have a couple of this week and then they're off for for spring break, but then they really, like you said, a lot of it is what, Tuesday, Thursday, an occasional Saturday in there, and so on and so forth. And the next thing you know, we're mid-April and about to wrap it up. Yeah, guys, I didn't even realize spring break is next week. So if you're thinking about going to South Padre or Mexico, you know, I don't know, would Coach let let that happen? <laughs> that's a good question. I, I, that's I, I another know. question I think we need to ask at the press conference. What do we do when it's spring break time? Are you like, hey, go enjoy – Mexico or the Keys, but uh, you better come back in shape. If I don't see those abs, that means you're running on the uh, you're running some stairs for a while there, bub. <laughs> now um, I, I'm trying to run it through like these storylines for the spring. Like what are we most going to be looking for? You know, what what is going to be like the top storylines that's going to be asked to coach tomorrow? Obviously, I think number one would be around the Adrian Martinez storyline about sure. you know being the quarterback for the one year and then. Maybe transitioning to the Jake Rubley era. Don't know, but we do know Adrian Martinez. I mean, he had his own press conference not too long ago, so we would imagine he's the guy. But, you know, the relationship with Colin Klein. And also, I would imagine as well, I think there's no doubt, you get back to the quarterback run game, which we really did not see much of this last season. But we know it as a big piece, the kind of the bread and butter of what we've seen from the Coach Klein offense. Yeah, we saw quite a bit of, of uh, Skyler in the quarterback run game early, but not so much late because of injury. Mm-hmm. And I think you probably get back to that. I, I, you know, nobody wants to talk about Will Howard, but I'm going to tell you that uh, this spring will be a big one for him. And I think he still has a, a a shot at being, you know, a guy that will see the field in 2022. I think he changed his number. He did from 15 to 18. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, and and then you know other things that come to mind too is those you know veteran guys that. If you think back to a year ago, we didn't know they became household names, but guys like Julius Brents and Stubblefield and those types of guys, is that going to be the case this time around for, you know, name the guy? Um, Bunch of new faces yeah, on that defense. Whether it's whether it's Hayes, Robinson, yeah. you know, whatever it might uh, – Honus, I mean, who knows? But uh, I think all of those guys will make their way and, and be a part of it. Um, I, I really like the – you know the the ads that they've they've put in there. Um, let's just hope that and knock on wood on this one that they're they're every bit as good as that last group because of fitting in and getting into the lineup pretty quickly and and, and being difference making type guys. It's, it's hard to do that, and uh, they they did that a year ago. So I'm I'm excited about those. Those new guys. I, I still have the uh, release that K-State football gave us when they had the signing yeah. class um, press conference. 
and we got to talk to the transfers. Brandon Jennings is the guy I'm He's really the, looking forward absolutely. to. Absolutely. Linebacker. Yeah. Big guy, 6'3, 235. Got a little uh, cup of coffee there in Maryland. He was actually getting a lot of playing time there early, and then an injury kind of sidelined them for a little bit. But he told me he's a big water uh, water boy guy. Bobby Boucher wants to hit like him. So, uh, hey, when he, when he told me that, I was all in. Uh, Skylar Thompson at the Combine. Yeah. Um, spoke about this a little bit last week, but kind of looking at all the numbers right here. Um, I think he was maybe criticized a little bit for his hand size, which is five and a half or five. Uh, I'm sorry, eight and five eighths, uh, which I guess is a little bit on the small side. But overall, like looking at from his forty time, which is a four point nine one worst out of the quarterbacks that did get tested. But then he shows up in the twenty yard shuttle. He was the second best out of the eight quarterbacks in four point two eight seconds, which is a really good time. Um, all in all, I don't know if you really watched him much or if you got to catch Skylar Thompson in the combine but just a little bit the performance and it wasn't really going to but he didn't like skyrocket his status I mean Jeff Bezos isn't going to rename his rocket out after him or anything like that wasn't that kind of performance or anything it's still pretty set in stone right now he's either going to be a seventh round undrafted free agent status but we do know he's going to get a chance well there to me that's the whole deal does he get a legitimate chance to make a football team? And and I I think he will get a legitimate chance. You know I think I think he, and again I didn't watch it as much as some uh, the reports that I heard about and, and or seen, seeing probably a little more on the on the thinner side so to speak. But I think I think for the most part he did fine. Um, I, I think it's it's <laughs> all of that stuff is great and they they. They dissect you to death. Um, you know the hand size matters, but is it the most important thing? No. Uh, I think the most important thing is is all of the things that you do when you're on the football field, and he he's more than capable in in a lot of areas. There, I think he's going to get into you know a mini camp or whatever, and 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 uh, give himself a chance. And I, I hope he does. Boy, Kenny Pickett really heard about it when his hand size got out there. Yeah, and even it, their coaches had to kind of come to his rescue on that yeah. one. It's like, did you not see his numbers? You know, Joe Montana didn't have the biggest hands either, or Drew Brees or any of the smaller guys that you want to – I mean, again, I, I'm not saying that those guys are going to be those guys, but, <laughs> you know, they – we also had guys like Ryan Leaf who was a not a, a non-miss guy that missed, or Todd Blackledge. You know, the, it goes both ways. Michael, There's no certainties out there, man. Michael Vick had the exact same hand size as Kenny Pickett. Yeah. So, of course, he was known for what he could do with his feet. Sure. As but well. But Michael Vick was a – I mean, he was a sensational runner. But I think he – there have been a lot of guys after him that probably haven't thrown it quite like he threw it either. He, he, he could throw the ball. For sure. Yes. I was trying to find Tom Brady's hand size, but um, – Yeah. Well, here's Whatever. what you need to know. Where was Tom Brady drafted? Was he sixth round? I think. Yeah. Seriously? I mean, I think that's the the most perfect example of this is an inexact science, right? Yeah, I, I don't make a big deal out of all the, the, <laughs> the hand size or whatever. If you're a great athlete, you're a great athlete. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, let's let's not totally discount it either. I mean, if you're Tyquan Thornton and you're running a four two one forty. Whoa. 
He made himself some money that day. By the way, I heard actually. Oh, was, at least I assume. It was Kennedy Brooks, I guess, had the smallest hands of the entire combine. He was like seven and a half or something like that. Okay. I mean, my hands are actually bigger than that, and I'm not a big guy. <laughs> not a big guy, but yeah. uh, apparently the the football in the NFL is a little bit smaller in college anyway. Uh, a timeout. When we come back, uh, excited to talk about this. Um, we we knew from Saturday that Coach K at Duke had his final home game, but what does Wyatt remember from that one time he got to call a game where K State played against Coach K? That's up next here on the game. There's been a change to the K-State baseball schedule. The Wildcats were set to open up the home portion of the season, the 2022 season against Nebraska tomorrow at 6. Due to, obviously, the snow we got here in town last night and yesterday, yesterday afternoon, also the team getting back late from California. The game has been moved to Wednesday. It'll be a 4 o'clock first pitch. Pre-game will start at 3.30, but here on K-Man, that'll be an online-only broadcast at NewsRadioKman.com because K-State men's basketball pregame with, of course, Wyatt and Stan will begin at 5 o'clock. Now, Wyatt, speaking of Kansas City, speaking of what was the Sprint Center, now the T-Mobile Center, as you might recall, Coach K had his last home game. They lost at home to North Carolina. He wasn't happy about that, but they had a big old ceremony for Coach K, who's been at Duke since 1980. Yes, and uh, you got to call a game once upon a time back in 2010 in Kansas City, the CBE Classic. And uh, you got to see the guy in person <laughs> and play one of his best teams ever uh, back in that 2010-2011 season. Do you have any memories of sure. that time? Yeah, and, and I, <laughs> I, I guess I would start and tell you that I first met Coach Krzyzewski during my time at Colorado State. There was a year, I think it was 91 maybe, that North Carolina came to Denver and Colorado State beat them and then did a return game to the Dean Dome the following year. Well, that following year, we practiced at Cameron Indoor the night before getting crushed by (laughs) 30-ish at Carolina the next night. And they were coming off the floor of their practice when – our group was coming on, and this, of course, was a time when, I mean, they had all of the guys. I mean, name them that oh, that really good team. I mean, Bobby Hurley and Grant and Thomas Hill and Christian Leitner, and I, I, I remember, you know, not that I wasn't, but I remember our players standing there watching those guys walk off, and their mouths were wide open. So then you fast forward to a few years later, and Sprint Center in Kansas City. I think a few things that that stick out is is that and probably number one on the list was that that Duke win was a game where K State people might forget this, but Duke was ranked one, not a, necessarily a surprise. K State was ranked fourth. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, and it was the 800th career win for Coach K. That that I think probably is probably the thing that sticks out the most. I mean. The place was packed. It was a good game. It, it wasn't, I mean, it was 82-68, but it was probably a better game than that score would indicate. My boy Curtis Kelly, I think, had 19 or 20 maybe, if memory serves me right. Um, but the, the, other, the other, I remember this a little bit too, that we had heard so much about Kyrie Irving and, 
he turned out to be pretty good. <laughs> I mean, just a little bit. As a matter of fact, uh, also on that team for Duke, you had the Plumleys, yes. uh, Mason Plumleys, probably the yeah. one people are most uh, they've most heard of. But also Seth Curry was also coming off the bench yeah. for that team. He scored six points against the Cats. But I think him and also. Uh, let me just say right now, I don't really keep up with the NBA too much, but I believe Kyrie Irving and Seth Curry are both with the Brooklyn Nets. So they're, once again, playing together there in Brooklyn. But uh, Cats did lose that game, 82-68. And what I really recall was, man, they were uh, they they were giving Jacob Pullen everything he can handle. That might have been actually maybe Jacob's worst game Possibly. at K-State. Like, I, he had a tough shooting night. I do yeah, remember that. They finished with four points. Yeah. And, and this is a guy that was averaging, what at the time, 16, 17, 18 points a game maybe? And it's just a guess. I don't, I don't remember that. but We're talking senior year, Jacob Pullen. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just I just know this. We were talking about Nigel earlier in the show and comparing freshman and sophomore numbers with Jake and what have you. But I remember <laughs> Jake went uh, from about – 400, almost 500 points as a sophomore, about 450, I think it was, to like 700 as a junior and about 660 as a senior. So up up the sky he went. He he was a terrific talent. All right, to wrap up the first hour of Wildcat Insider, let's get to, uh, let's see if we can squeeze in a Twitter question when we come back. Wyatt, this Twitter question comes from uh, somebody I do believe you know. He is at JL Kurtz on Twitter, and he asks, uh, because you're getting ready to head to Kansas City for the Big 12 tourney, which fellow Big 12 play-by-play voice is the life of the party at the annual Big 12 tournament dinner? Well, that dinner is tomorrow night at Bristol at 6 o'clock, and we'll be a couple of two or three guys short. The Oklahoma State guys, of course, will not be there. Toby Rowland and at Oklahoma and Craig Way at Texas are doing baseball tomorrow night before they come in on Wednesday. But generally speaking, I'd, I'd say it kind of depends on the year. As you might surmise, there are a lot of personalities among the 10 guys. Um, and, and I would say Craig would, would be a, a past winner. I would say probably it would be safe to say that Tony Caridi of West Virginia has been a past winner, just as an example. But we have a ball. It, it's a couple of two or three hours, and we have a little meeting and and just kind of talk about the, the state of what we're doing and how we can be better and what do we need to do to be better and all those kind of things. But we always you know, lie and tell a lot of goofy stories and that kind of stuff, too. So we have a couple seconds left, so I got to ask. It's a uh, it's it's pretty fine dining where you're going. You're talking steak and seafood. So what yeah. what does Wyatt usually go with? Scallops last year uh, may even repeat that. They were really 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 good. It, it is a fun place to go to. They, they take care of us. They they really have. They do a nice job. Well, coming up in hour two of Wildcat Insider, we're going to jump back into uh, K-State basketball. As a matter of fact, here in a few seconds, we're going to find out from the K-State women's basketball team who has made the all-Big 12 teams. We'll preview the Big 12 tournament. Where is K-State women's basketball in bracketology? Still another hour of Wildcat Insider coming up next. News Radio KMAN. KMAN.